The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Therapeutic Approach to Growth with your host, Brooke Wagner. Each week, this program will focus on interests and expertise pertaining to special needs individuals and their families. We'll help you open up and connect while sharing powerful information. Now, here is Brooke Wagner. Uh, Welcome to Therapeutic Approach to Growth. This is Brooke Brooke Wagner, host, and I have uh, two amazing guests with me today. Uh, We're going to be talking about Relationship Development Intervention, otherwise known as RDI. And um, I have uh, Dr. Shealy, who's a pioneer in the field of autism, on the line, and uh, Jackie Zaldua as well, who's an RDI consultant and a BCBA. So welcome, ladies. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Um, so thank you so much for being here, Dr. Sheely. Um, I would love to um, have our listeners just hear a little bit more um, about your background and experience, and um, and talk a little bit about um, how you and Dr. Gutstein uh, decided to develop this program. Okay, uh, my background originally was in I had a master's in teaching uh, from uh, Newark State in New Jersey, and part of the program that I was working in. Uh, was designed to help uh, people who were not involved in education go into inner-city schools and work with the children there, basically taking them where they were using a developmental model and moving them forward. So I had I did that for about nine years, and then after working in that program, Dr. Gutstein and I uh, moved to uh, Houston. And at that time, autism was very rare. And if you were to say to somebody, have you heard of autism? They would probably say, how do you spell it? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, not, it's not like today when uh, everybody knows somebody who has autism. And we got interested in these really interesting children who came from such unique, wonderful families that were and the children were not able to make use of the guiding relationship. So the parents were stumped. They were doing the right things, but the children weren't responding as, you know, we expected them to respond. So we we went back to our training. By this time, I, I was a psychologist with a strong background in family systems and um, also uh, development and teaching as well. So we went back to what we knew and said, rather than trying to reinvent or to invent something that doesn't work the way it was intended to work, stemming really from our belief that families are designed to raise their own children, let's look at what happens when when um, parenting goes the way it's supposed to go. So we kind of went back and looked at that, and from that kind of basic, simple idea, um, RDI uh, was developed and flourished. 
Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I think that, you know, being an RDI consultant myself, I can, you know, really connect with that. Um, seeing how our families come to us and, and really struggle with knowing how to connect with their child and giving them those tools to be able to go back and recreate that experience um, that they wish they had had um, on an emotional level with their child is such a beautiful experience to be a part of. So, you know, we, I know I can speak for Jackie that we so appreciate what you and Dr. Gutstein have done in this field and the gifts you've given to all of us as consultants and all many clients we work with, you know, we really, really value and appreciate, you know, all of that hard work and dedication that you've brought to this field and, and the gift that you've brought. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Um, um, okay. Can you tell me um, just a little bit more about, um, you know, we, we know that, a lot of what we do is um, based on developmental research. Um, it'd be great for our listeners to hear um, how you really pull the developmental research into the program and, and use it as a basis for the program. Um, sure. Well, um, the, way we, the way we did it was to really look at the research and to look at the researchers who were thinking about how families work and who, who were documenting them. One of the one documenting that one was Barbara Rokoff, and uh, Barbara Rokoff was one of those professors who uh, just went around the world studying families and what happened. And she saw that in families and in um, community systems that there was this thing that she called um, kind of a guiding relationship. And she what she documented was how families raise children and what it looked like. And basically, around the world, uh, it looked the same. So we were very influenced by her work. And then there were other people, too, uh, that we, Peter Hobson, uh, Shroff, you know, to name a few people. So we were reading people whose work we thought would be helpful to us. And then we started looking at the children who were on the spectrum. And it's interesting that I should be talking about this today because just yesterday I met with a young man who I had seen at about the age of just a couple of months before he was two. He was recently diagnosed. He's now a senior in college. <laughs> there's, been a lot of, there's been a lot of time in there. But what we, what we realized was that autism, autism disrupts everything. It makes everyone feel incompetent. It makes therapists feeling competent, parents feeling competent, and certainly the people with autism have that feeling of incompetence too because the world doesn't make sense to them. Mm -hmm. So we believe that if we could look at how all of us feel competent in the work we do and in being parents and, you know, being someone who was a child at one time and learned to look out at the world, if we could reestablish that and do it, I wouldn't say in a static way, but in a thoughtful way that helped people know how to think about it, that we would see success. And so that's what we did. We, uh, we originally thought that we could replicate development, and then we realized mm-hmm. that was just impossible because mm-hmm. in typical development, there's a simultaneity to what happens. Mm-hmm. And you can never you know, make everything happen at the same time. But if you can go back and kind of look at the important steps that are missed and choose one of those at a time, if the child responds to it and becomes a good apprentice to his or her parent and takes on his or her 
own learning, then you'll see that simultaneity begin to occur along with, uh, you know, the desire to be an independent learner and also to be somebody who desires mastery of things. And for people mm-hmm. who have typically developing children, they see this all the time. Child struggles, doesn't understand something, but keeps working at it. So that's Absolutely, absolutely. No, I think that's, that's wonderful. And, you know, I see my own uh, typical children, and I see that they value the breakdown um, when things don't go as planned, and, and they're curious and they want to learn, and, and that's just so neat that we can give our kids on the spectrum that opportunity to have that intrinsic motivation to see things in a similar way. Um, so let's let's go over to Jackie now. Um, Jackie, can you share a little bit about your background and experience and um, what drew you to RDI? Sure. Um, well, so my background training is um, I'm a certified RDI program consultant, and I had the pleasure of uh, having Dr. Sheely as my wonderful supervisor, mm-hmm. so I was very blessed, um, and also a board-certified behavior analyst. Um, I also, um, similar to Dr. Sheely, I have my master's degree um, in early uh, childhood education. It's um, I have a degree in educational psychology, and I was very blessed um, when I was getting my degree to have professors who really um, instilled in me a love and a value for using a developmental model while simultaneously working at a company that specialized in ABA. <laughs> so um, it was really interesting because from day one, I kind of um, had a different outlook on intervention for children with autism, and I was able to integrate the two worlds um, together, and I had a very strong influence um, uh, with my professors. And so I've been doing that for the last 14 years, designing home and school-based programs for children and teens and also young adults uh, with autism. Uh, My belief system is really that I like to use the best uh, approaches out there to help the child uh, reach their best potential. And what's really important to me is that the approach be, you know, really respectful of the child and also um, of the parent-child relationship. Uh, also, often when you're working with children with autism, you recognize that they have co-occurring disorders such as um, anxiety and depression. And so, Um, When I saw that, what was really important to me is that we treated the child in a manner that allowed them to feel safe and also very trustful of their guide and and also to to experience competence. And this can actually help to reduce um, them going into a fight or flight mode. And so that was very important to me that, uh, that I use an approach that really valued that. And so RDI really encompasses that. Um, Also, you know, in working with so many children doing intervention, many of these kids spend hours and hours a week um, doing intervention. And so it was really important to me that they had a memories of having a good childhood and a positive childhood. And I didn't feel comfortable when I saw children sitting for 40 hours a week at a table and <laughs> looking mm-hmm. at flashcards. Mm-hmm. And so that just never resonated, that style of a- approach. And what I loved about RDI And what drew me to RDI is that it teaches parents to guide their child's development in very meaningful and authentic ways. And so this um, allows a child to have a normal childhood, to experience Mm -hmm. high quality of life. And um, 
I like that it's often called an untherapy <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's not supposed to feel like therapy. And so the child, the parents are able to work with the child on, um, you know, giving them opportunities for mastery of developmental goals. But it's done in a very natural way so that uh, the child doesn't feel as though they're receiving therapy. And uh, also, you know, the thing that drew me to come work for TAG is that um, here at TAG, I get to work with just a great group of professionals who have an RDI background and a developmental approach. And they're very passionate about helping families and individuals. Um, I mean, every person here that I work with, you can just see they, they have this genuine passion and heart for families. And um, what I like is that each of them have a different expertise. So, you know, we have Gail, who's our speech therapist, and mm-hmm. Megan, who, who's a marriage and family therapy counselor, and Catherine, who's an infant and uh, toddler developmental specialist and also mm-hmm. has the um, sweet Nala, the therapy dog, who's our golden retriever therapy dog. And so it's been really great to work with a group of professionals who each have a different expertise. And I bring the ABA components. So often some of our um, families here have really difficult, challenging behaviors that they're, you know, dealing with, and it's been nice to be able to come in and support those families um, with my expertise, but doing it in a way that's very respectful and um, and also very developmental. Oh, that's so great, Jackie. I would love to uh, have our listeners hear a little bit more about. Um, how we and how you have worked on blending the two approaches when we do experience a client that has some more um, severe uh, aggressive behaviors um, when the parents are fully invested in their RDI program but are still experiencing these aggressive behaviors. Um, what kinds of things um, can you share um, regarding blending the approaches? Well, um What's interesting is that ABA and RDI, they have the same goal, which is to improve the the child's quality of life. Um, Having an in-depth understanding of ABA has really helped me to provide the families that I work with with positive behavior support plans. Um, And then at the same time, I use the RDI to do it in a developmentally appropriate way where I'm very um, respectful of where the child is at developmentally and the milestones that they have uh, mastered or have not mastered. And so... In ABA, what we do is we try to change behavior, and we do it in a way that's measurable and observable. Um, Applied means we're changing behaviors that that you can apply to the real world. Um, Behavior in in ABA, applied behavior analysis, behavior means it's it's a measurable and observable behavior that you're wanting to change. And the analysis means that we're looking at data and we're measuring frequency, duration, things like that. And so I use that piece. And then in in terms of the RDI, What I want to do is restore the guiding relationship and help the child master those areas that are needed to build a healthy and meaningful relationship, uh, not only with others, but also with themselves. So we're really working on helping the the child to develop personal awareness, um, reflection, the ability to reflect and understand themselves, and then to apply that information in a way that they can use in the future. We also like to work on the child's dynamic thinking, which is um, their ability to use critical thinking or gray area thinking. So we don't want the child to basically memorize problem solving or or learn rote scripted solutions to life's problems because that doesn't work in the real world. Um, Actually, many of the families that I've worked with over the years and and also a few here um, at TAG, what's been really interesting is that 
uh, they've had a really negative experience with um, an ABA clinician. And um, the way that the, the clinician approached the child's therapy program really caused them to be avoidant of the whole approach altogether. And so often what I've seen is that they're afraid to open up that their child is having some really serious behavior challenges. And so that's happened, um, you know, here where after a few years of, um, of uh, you know, RDI therapy, they've been able to share that their child was having aggressive behaviors or, um, or even uh, body boundary issues related to puberty. And so we've been able to, um, to support them. And um, uh, so basically... What I do is I basically uh, look at the behavior really intensely, and I look at uh, the antecedents that trigger the behavior. I look at the functions of the behavior, and then that's the ABA side. And then with the RDI, what I do is I look at core deficits, and I look at the guiding relationship. And then I develop a program that really blends the two together. So we're creating some environmental supports, proactive strategies to help the child, um, and then in terms of RDI, we're really looking at those core deficits and remediating those core deficits. And often what you see is that by reducing the behavior, you're able to help the parent-child relationship. Oftentimes what we've seen is that parents have a hard time connecting to their child because they're showing aggression and they're engaging in behaviors that are really off-putting and they just have a hard time connecting. And sometimes if we can do a quick fix, of reducing those behaviors, then the parent can emotionally connect and then we can really get things moving because they can develop that guiding relationship. No, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And I know a lot of, one of the main things that we really like to focus on is that reflection process. And um, it'd be wonderful to just chat a little bit more about that reflection process um, here after our commercial break. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and um, we'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show & Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Therapeutic Approach to Growth. 
To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also reach Brooke Wagner via email to bwagner at tagforgrowth.com. Now back to the show. Okay, and welcome back. We're here with uh, Jackie Zeldua and Dr. Rochelle Sheely. And uh, right before the break, we were just talking about um, how we blend the, the two approaches. And we touched really briefly on reflection, that process um, that we really incorporate into our RDI programs. And it'd be great just to spend a minute or two talking a little bit about that um, and, and what kinds of reflection programs you've introduced here with your clients here at TAG, Jackie. Okay. Um well, one of the core deficits that we look at in the RDI program is um, the child's personal awareness, their understanding of themselves. And so that's something that we really want to develop in terms of understanding their body, understanding their feelings, their emotions, making connections in terms of uh, why I do what I do, or if something was, uh, was I competent doing something? Was I incompetent? How does this uh, affect me? What might I, how might I use that, that knowledge to help my future and, and making goals or decisions? And so um, really, you know, it really depends. I've done it in many different ways. For some of my students who are not verbal, it's been really exciting to um, use visuals in terms of helping them to um, to uh, express their awareness of self, whether it's um, expressing their emotions. Some of our students use uh, an iPad or a keyboard, and that's been really exciting. I know you, you know who I'm thinking of. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we have a student who didn't have a voice for um, the first 16 years of his life, and this last year, his mother has been an amazing warrior for him and just open up the door for him to communicate and for the first time we're able to see that you know they've been doing RDI for years um, but his ability to express himself and many people thought that uh, you know there was really nothing going on in terms of thinking but because he had had the RDI program for so many years and his mom had been narrating and labeling his feelings and helping him make connections even though it appeared because he had such a flat tone that he wasn't responding once he found his voice he was able to express through journal his level of awareness of behavior himself, with his thoughts, his feelings, his ideas, um, the, you know, his, his emerging ability to understand perspectives of others. And um, so that's been really exciting. But mm-hmm. we, we do a lot of journals and journal reflections um, using um, computer journals or um, the RDI platform, which is an amazing um, online platform that Dr. Goodstein developed. And, and many of our students do video uh, journals where they're actually talking into the, the uh, the computer recording it and um, reflecting on their thoughts and feelings. So it might be something as um, so wonderful of just sharing about your day and how things went at school and how you felt the day went. Or it might be about uh, you know your feelings about uh, maybe interest. Uh, we have students who are hitting puberty and they're showing and personal awareness of you know feelings for um, you know, having a crush on somebody or being interested. And so whatever whatever they're experiencing, it's just so wonderful for them to be able to reflect and to share their thoughts, feelings, ideas, and perceptions. And that's, a, that's a very important piece of um, the RDI program. Absolutely. I, I'd add to that, um, which has been so powerful for some of my clients, is having goals that they really want to achieve. Um, for example, I have a few clients right now that are young adults that – um, really want to um, achieve the goal of being able to earn an income, and um, and we're going through that um, whole process of reflecting on um, what things they like and what things they don't like um, related to job skills. And in fact, we did a whole um, holiday craft <laughs> fair um, here um, and had them bring in 
different things they could sell and one of them played the violin for tips and and then we're going to take that opportunity and we're going to reflect them and what good about it and was there anything they didn't like about it um, so that we can over time learn about what's interesting to them and what they may be able to do as a future um, job so um, it's just so beautiful to see kids reflecting I think it's a gift for for any child to be able to do and um, in particular our kids on the spectrum to learn about themselves it's very empowering for the, the children and, and young adults teenagers because instead of somebody coming in developing goals for them and, and creating plans where they're really controlling the child's behavior this is really an empowering approach where you're able to um, help the child make discoveries mm-hmm. to have a better understanding of themselves and then to put them in the driver's seat of um, really making decisions for themselves based on their their reflection absolutely absolutely it's so empowering and um, not I know um, one of the most important things I've learned um, from you and Dr. Gutstein is the power of establishing a guided participation relationship and I know you touched on that a little bit um, earlier Um, I'd love to talk about why it's so important in the RDI program and the work that we do and and how we go about um, supporting the families, families and establishing a guided participation relationship. I think one of the things that we noticed early on was that there was a passivity and an over-reliance on professionals by parents and an over-reliance uh, from the ch- uh, by the children on people who were trying to get them to do something. So we wanted to, mm-hmm. we wanted to look at the development of a program where everyone was achieving independence and with the ultimate goal that the person who had autism as an adult would have a quality of life. And so we structured that, both in our training of professionals and our training of parents, that there would be a kind of a, a the teaching at the beginning where you were learning conceptually what it was you wanted to do, followed pretty quickly and kind of interchanging with that, where you would uh, set your own goals. And I have, you know, I work with kids as young as, nine or ten, who say, this is what I want to work on, and I know that you do that Mm -hmm. at TAG as well. But the important part of this from the very beginning is that self-evaluation, not how do you think I did, but this is how I think I did. And so Mm -hmm. it's not so much about getting it right all the time, but what you learn from every structured experience that you have with that child. And then the child begins to reflect on that, too. So you have that evaluative process that's built in um, from the very beginning. I was just sitting here looking at a list that um, a boy who's now in the eighth grade sent me on the platform, and he said, these are the things I think I need to work on next time. Changing mm-hmm. your mind, breaking your promise. I want to talk about the street, uh, the, the street that's messed up in front of my house. <laughs> By the way, I missed you while you were in Cuba. Computer writing, <laughs> trying not to laugh when you should, um, <laughs> making arguments with my sister, taking out the trash when I don't want to, my <laughs> annoying sister and I annoy her, oh, and when I'll celebrate Diwali. And, I mean, I, this, is, this is a kid, and if you look at that, it doesn't sound that therapeutic. But he's saying, this is my life, and these are mm-hmm. the components about it that have meaning to me right now, and I want to make sure I don't, I, I don't forget it when I, came, when I come in. And then there was a note at, at the bottom that said, it doesn't have to be in this order. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see that 
when when people become empowered, and that means our children, um, our parents, and our therapists, when they become empowered, that then they do take on their own learning. And you don't have that passivity. To be honest with you, I think passivity is more difficult to deal with than um, yes. negativity yeah. or yeah. obstinate or obstinance. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely, absolutely. It gives you something to work with um, when um, there's pushback um, versus when there's that passivity. It's just it's hard to to get that um, that desire to mm-hmm. participate. There's no motivation at that point. It's mm-hmm. just there's no internal motivation to move forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you know I think one of the one of the key things that we're looking at with that parent child relationship is um, you know really um, developing that trust and that. Um, that mentorship and, and as you mentioned earlier, the apprentice, you know, the child really valuing being an apprentice and that, that child that, you know, you just shared about is, is clearly valuing um, you and that role of a guide and, you know, really sharing that information with you so he can plan ahead and, um, and really have that opportunity to seek that support from you. And, you know, I think that's such a, a key part of our program that distinguishes us um, and that when you have that desire and that intrinsic motivated motivation to learn and to grow from another person, from a mentor, then you are going to, you know, seek out that help and that support and that guidance um, when you're needing it. So I think it also fosters leadership. So mm-hmm. for example, um, the boy that I just mentioned uh, had a problem with insectophobia and uh, we worked on it for quite a while and you know, he would make videos of himself approaching uh, insects in the house. And if you're in Texas, we have insects everywhere, so it's a big deal. But as he began to as he began to overcome this, he started making videos to help other children. And he thought through these videos. Oh. He showed them. He showed them different ways to approach insects when they were dead. <laughs> or, or when they were made of plastic and uh, just kind of different ways to get over it and I thought that part of part of his self-reflection and his ability to evaluate himself was that ability to say now I have something that mm-hmm. was very hard for me and I overcame it and now I'm in a position to help someone else overcome it and so he mm-hmm. had to go back through everything he had done to be able to do that for someone else. And I, I use that as an example, but I feel like there's a theoretical perspective here as well. We want to see, we, we, we don't want to see our children in that passive role with someone always having to help them or someone else having to teach them every single thing. We want them to take it on for themselves and then see themselves as a valuable person in society who can help other mm-hmm. people as well. Mm-hmm. That's such a gift. It's such a gift to to be able to guide our clients in that way and, and see that blossom in them and that intrinsic motivation come alive. And it's just a wonderful thing, and I love it. Um, I would love to hear um, Jackie, too, um, maybe share another case study um, of an example where um, a client may not have had that guided participation relationship in place um, and, um, you know, how that changed and what that looked like as they established that trusting relationship. Um, well, it's been really 
um, interesting. One of the things that comes to mind <clears throat> when you ask that question is um, I've actually worked with several families where the mother had the guiding relationship with the child, but the fathers um, did not because they just you know didn't have the luxury of being at home as, as often with uh, with the child. And one of the most rewarding things about um, my journey, my clinical journey, is seeing so many of the fathers learn um, through the RDI program how to connect with their child. And, and it's so interesting because it's very, you and I were talking about this yesterday, but it's very measurable and observable. Um, when you start the RDI program, we first do a baseline assessment where the child comes in and they do three activities with their mother and then with their father. And we look at the child, the parent, and also the relationship between the child and the parent. And it's, and oftentimes what you'll see is <clears throat> initially, you know, one of the parents um, placing a lot of demands. And, and you see how the child responds, and they have very avoidant physical behavior. So they'll avert eye gaze. Their body positioning is turning away from the parent. They're, you know, going to the corner of the room. And what's been so beautiful to see uh, and what stands out to me is some, some of these fathers, as I said, because there may be some fathers listening to the show or parents who wish maybe that they could see a, a greater connection between their father and child. Um, but really seeing that uh, after just going through the parent training portion and the, the fathers and mothers, you know, learning to slow down, change the way they communicate with their child, really focusing on the togetherness and building that relationship and that connection through very authentic activities that do not feel therapeutic and do not feel like they're being, you know, they're doing work or drills with the child, um, that uh, when we finish and we do the second assessment, the pre-post, it's so rewarding and beautiful to see the child now sharing eye gaze with their father, um, smiling, approaching, moving towards, and then to see that the dads are feeling more competent. So the dads were actually avoiding interactions with their children because they didn't feel competent either. And once they start to learn how to interact, they start to gravitate and they want more of it because it feels great to them. The child wants more of it because it feels great. And you start to see these video clips that are being turned in as the parents do their assignments at home. And you see this just wonderful laughter that they have playing Tickle Monster and swimming together, cooking, cleaning out gutters on top of the roof. I mean, really doing these fun activities. And and that's been, you know, really rewarding for me to see. Um, I had one family where the dad um, married um, an amazing woman who had adopted a child from another country who um, had autism. So he was coming in, and it was completely a new relationship with this little guy. And the little guy, um, obviously, (laughs) was not real thrilled about this. And he was scratching dad, his new dad, you know, and just showing a lot of aggression. And it was so interesting to work with them just within a matter of weeks, seeing the dad be able to form a beautiful relationship with his son and seeing um, his ability to really know how to give just the right level of challenge where it's not too high, not too low, it's just right. And then to see, um, you know, his ability to handle those behaviors in a different way that was more supportive, you know, validating his emotions and feelings, labeling his thoughts and and also setting limits. But uh, it's, it's so great to see them working together as a team. And, you know, there was a big storm um, in San Diego and they were working together to clear out all the palm tree branches and throw them in the trash and, you know, throwing trash together and just doing, you know, he, he would give his son helper roles and he would really help his son to feel competent and to know how to connect with his dad by giving him a you know clear role. And so lots of co-regulatory interactions were taking place. Um, so that's that's just one example of many. I mean, we work with, you know, moms, dads, siblings, uh, grandparents. 
parents, extended family. But um, I just wanted, I don't know, for some reason, that just kind of was one thing I wanted to share was it, it mm-hmm. touches my heart so much to see some of these dads coming in and you can see that they feel incompetent and they can, you mm-hmm. can just tell when you're talking to them that the mom is sharing all these examples and then the dad doesn't have much to say. And then just in a matter of weeks, you start to see that shift where there's more of a balance and sharing mm-hmm. about what's going on at home. And so that's been just amazing. Oh, that's great. And I think that kind of piggybacks on what Dr. Sheely said about that passivity. Sometimes we see when the dads are in that place where they don't feel competent, they do become more passive and um, mm-hmm. they don't take that initiative to try to connect because they just don't know how. And um, when we can guide them on how to recreate that relationship, um, we can see that relationship really blossom and um, and then they become empowered and then their child becomes empowered and, and it's just a neat experience to be a part of. Um, yeah, and I was going to just add, you know, what's really been rewarding for me is just to see even the look on the dad's face. They're, mm-hmm. They look differently when they come into the meetings, you know, mm-hmm. at first they're looking a little insecure and then you just see this excitement, the smile, their their body posture. It's not just the child that's changing, it's the parent as well and that's just been really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love when the dads come in and, and, and actually both parents, yeah, they're both. just proud of, mm-hmm. of celebrating their child's successes and I just had a meeting earlier today where uh, the mom was just so excited. She said, you know, that she really felt like the experience she had at the shoe store with her daughter felt like a typical experience and she was so proud to share that with me and um, just to be able to experience that and see the shift in the parents um, and their confidence and, and their success with their children and connecting is, is wonderful to be a part of. So with that, um, we're going to go ahead and uh, take another commercial break and um, we'll be back to talk a little bit more about communication and um, how we tailor our communication um, in an RDI program and what that looks like. So we'll be back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Transformational healing includes energy medicine as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Biohacking for Health is working with your individual biology to gain access to and control over the systems within your body. It allows you to explore your biology and improve health and wellness. Each of us has unique genetic profiles and physiology that require individualized approaches. On Biohacking for Optimal Health, Dr. Daniel Stickler and his expert guests provide a roadmap to navigate the world of biohacking human potential. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Therapeutic Approach to Growth. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also reach Brooke Wagner via email to bwagner at tagforgrowth.com. Now back to the show. All right, welcome back. I'm host Brooke Wagner here with the Jackie Zeldua 
and Dr. Rochelle Sheely. And um, Dr. Sheely, I'd like to go to you. Um, I know another you know, really critical piece to an RDI program is how we communicate with our clients and um, guide the parents to do so as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about how we emphasize communication that fosters engagement and experience sharing uh, in addition to taking the demand off of the client and encouraging the client to respond in their own way. You know, uh, Brooke, when we think about communication, uh, there's a historical perspective in autism that is um, um, not so intuitive, and that is that if you teach if you teach children language, that then they'll be able to communicate and have a conversation. And over and over again, that has proved to not be true. There were a couple of speech pathologists uh, at Texas Children's Hospital when Steve and I moved here, who had been through the Northwestern um, program, Northwestern University. And they said, no, 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 you can't teach language without communication. Look at what happens with typical development, how you have an almost fully communicating infant, and then the language comes. It's the icing on the cake. So we knew that we had to go back and work on all of those nonverbal cues, of the, the facial expression, the body mm-hmm. language, even prosody, before mm-hmm. we worked on the language. And that could be hard, particularly when you had a child who was a nonstop talker. <laughs> sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes that could be harder than the child who wasn't talking at all. But what we followed was the trajectory that you see in typical development, where you know, um, the pacing is slow. We also noticed and noted that in typical development, um, there were a lot more, there were a lot of experience sharing communication statements. Oh, there's truck. But in autism, mm-hmm. what is this? Mm-hmm. What color is that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there, there was a, there was that tendency because people wanted to hear the children talk to ask them questions that they mm-hmm. knew the answers for or that they could answer pretty quickly. And so that development, that, that work initially on getting the nonverbal communication in, um, uh, in, in place before the language and then coming back to the language was very important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And that makes complete sense. And it's been neat to see clients that... Um, as you mentioned, um, you know, start to talk because we worked on that foundational piece of the nonverbal communication and the engagement, and mm-hmm. then things started to make sense to them, and so they started to talk on their own without traditional speech therapy. And now that doesn't happen all the time, but when it, it, it can happen, if, and it's neat to see that developmental process kind of unfold naturally through that, through that experience that they're having. Yeah, and typically what does happen pretty consistently is the parent changes their communication style in RDI. Mm-hmm. And that's always seen in the pre-post when we do a baseline. There's a lot of asking questions, giving directions, and then once they go through the parent training, there's a lot more of the experience sharing. And then that 
really helps also to build that connection because the child doesn't feel all of the demands. They start to just experience uh, the experience sharing component of communication, which is really what real relationships, when you have a relationship, that's what your communication looks like. Mm-hmm. You don't go up to a friend and start asking 20 questions. You start to just share. And then by that, the person will then think about it and adjust their communication accordingly. And so that's been neat to see also with the parents that we work with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it really does foster that true experience sharing where they're really connecting on an emotional level mm-hmm. um, and they're, they're getting that emotional connection that they're striving for and, and wanting um, to have with their child. Um, I think a very, now, basic, a, a very basic thing that we try to work on as well is to get comfortable with silence. Mm-hmm. And uh, rather than having a, a quick answer to everything, we'd rather have a slow answer. We'd rather have somebody <laughs> take time mm-hmm. and actually think. So we're not yeah. interested in whether the truck is red, but we're interested <laughs> right. maybe in having a conversation about the truck. And mm-hmm. at that point, you are waiting. And I, uh, I've really taught myself to wait a long, long period of time until the child actually thinks about what he or she wants to say and then says it rather than demanding that quick answer. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that that really does foster that thinking process and and really looking at that dynamic intelligence um, that we're trying to create for our kids uh, to be able to integrate information and, and think about why was that important, what that person said, and, and how does that relate to me, and then what, how can I contribute? And all of that thinking is um, such an integrative um, experience that we're trying to strive for um, versus just being able to label the truck. So, um, absolutely. No, I think that's great and, and really in such an important part of our program and important to share with the listeners. Um, <clears throat> I know another um, piece that we often will use is um, indirect cues. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, to give our clients opportunities to think um, so that we're not giving them all the answers um, when there's something for them to participate in. So uh, maybe, Jackie, you want to share a little um, example of an indirect cue and, and how we might... Um, use that with our clients? Well, um, I kind of look at indirect cues in two different ways. One is for experience. Well, actually, no, for um, I'm thinking of nonverbal cues. An indirect cue would be if you wanted a child um, maybe to participate or to do something in, in a way to lower the verbal demands, such as saying, oh, it's time to mix or it's time to pour if you're mm-hmm. cooking something together. You might just start to use um, an indirect cue like a a gestural cue mm-hmm. or, um, gosh, you know, you might make a comment that um, an indirect verbal comment where you're just kind of sharing an observation like, gosh, there's a lot of clumps in this mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and then waiting and letting the child think about it or, gosh, somebody's going to slip and fall. You know, mm-hmm. there's water on the floor. And just kind of sharing an observation and then giving the child an opportunity to think uh, and to move, and to make a decision about what they might want to do, and there's no right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. The child may decide to start mixing or to go get a towel and mop something up, or they might ask for help, or they might mm-hmm. uh, they might come up with ten different ways to respond. But the important thing that we're looking at is that the child is actually thinking, mm-hmm. um, and so that's been something that we often use. Or um, indirect cue might be, as I said, just using a facial expression or a gesture. So we can use um, nonverbal indirect cues mm-hmm. or also verbal um, indirect cues 
Mm -hmm. But the whole point is to develop uh, the the child's uh, thinking. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, Um, I really want to make sure that uh, we make time to um, discuss how in RDI we really look beyond the behavior Mm -hmm. um, and um, share a little bit more about um, the developmental um, breakdown that we see and and we experience in our clients and and how we address that um, to support uh, positive behaviors in our clients. So, um, Jackie, can you share a little bit more about um, Mm -hmm. how we go about doing that? Well, you know, when I'm working with a family and I see that they've had a lot of these, uh, the RDI, you know, um, foundations put in place, and then they oftentimes what we'll see, I'll give you an example. Uh, we have several students, when puberty hits, we see uh, uh, all these new behaviors come to <laughs> surface that uh, the parents didn't experience before. It could be aggression, it could be uh, body boundary issues, touching private parts, or being interested in touching others. And so these are things that parents often feel really uncomfortable to talk about, which is why I'm going to share on our radio show, because it might help someone who's out there and who's listening who feels uncomfortable, and and I hope that you would feel that uh, it's a safe place if you need help with some of these issues, you know, feel free to to call us here at TAG, and we we could definitely um, help you with a really supportive uh, plan. But um, what what I do is I look really specifically... um, I really question, what does the behavior look like? What is it that we're looking at? And so that's kind of my ABA uh, mind thinking, you know, what does it look like? Describe it. Um, How often does it happen? What's the intensity? What's the duration? And I really try to get a clear picture um, of what's going on. And then I try to look at what are the triggers. So an example, we had a student here, puberty hit, and he started showing lots of uh, aggression at home um, towards his family members. and uh, particularly mom and dad, that would happen at home, in the car, the family trampoline, in the community. Um, and it was happening about four times a month. And when it did happen, it was really intense, and it would last for about an hour. And this was really draining um, for the family. It created a lot of stress for the siblings. And so we started looking at what are the things that are triggering this, this behavior. And it was um, often hunger. So the child had blood sugar issues. So when it, he became hungry or there was too much time in between meals, we would see an increase in behavior. Also, if he was told no and denied access to a desired, um, like a TV show or something. Um, also, if he didn't have a clear schedule. So there was a lot of uncertainty that he was experiencing. Let's say if they went on a road trip or um, if the child's role was not clear. Or if he had to separate from his parent, who he was homeschooled, so he was used to being with his mom. Um, Also, when there was guests at the home and visitors, uh, there was my guess was a lot of sensory overload with the noise level. Um, Or if the parents reacted using a loud tone of voice or a reactive tone of voice. So that was, you know, environmentally a lot of the things that we saw. Then we also look at, which is very big in, in RDI, we start looking at the core deficits. And... The things that we discovered about this young man is that um, he really lacked personal awareness about his feelings. He also had difficulty slowing down and using self-control, coping with really strong emotions. Um, He had an inability to communicate in order to make requests. Uh, He had some verbal skills, but he was uh, very limited with his verbal uh, ability to make requests or to share feelings or concerns. Um, Also, he lacked the ability to evaluate and reflect on his personal competence. 
And uh, also, he had challenges managing his uncertainty, uh, showing flexibility and resilience if things didn't go as, as planned. So we look at that and we think, okay, how can we start addressing those core deficit areas? And then the, the antecedents or the triggers, those are pretty easy fixes. Those are quick fixes that we can do. And then the core deficits are going to take a little bit longer to work on. But we created a plan. And I'll just give a couple of quick examples because we don't have enough time to go through the whole thing. Um, but for example, hunger, that was a quick fix. <laughs> we basically made sure that he, the child didn't get hungry. He, we empowered him to make his own food and we had snacks readily available and he was on a special diet, so they had to be special snacks. Um, we provided a visual for him to communicate if he was hungry so that he could let people know. Um, and we made sure that he had access to food at least every two hours. And also, um, when he started going to school, we made sure that that was uh, well taken care of in the school setting. And then dealing with uncertainty. We made sure he had a visual schedule for the day, also for the month, for any activities that were coming up. We made sure he had verbal reminders and that he had a role um, so he knew what to do in any given time, uh, if he, especially for community outings and things like that. So that reduced the stress load and the uncertainty. Um, also, due to the sensory, sensory overload, if there were guests or family visiting, um, we would uh, let the child know ahead of time uh, what to do uh, and that there was a safe room in the house, a quiet room to go to if he felt stressed out. And then the parents' reactivity, that was a quick fix. <laughs> Just make sure that uh, they used a neutral tone. And then so that was addressing more of the, the quick uh, antecedents. And then we addressed the core deficits. So we worked on emotional awareness, self-control, communication, and self-evaluation. And we had the parents really guiding this. The parents began to label the child's feelings, such as hunger, anger, frustration, disappointment. But they also narrated how they were feeling when they felt that way. So they were modeling and showing the child how to communicate that. Uh, they would also use visuals to model because the child would typically use the visuals. We also had the parents modeling how to slow down and express when they were frustrated or they felt like hitting, uh, we would have them say, share, you know, oh, I feel really frustrated, but I think I'm going to take some deep breaths instead. So again, modeling. Okay, great, Jackie. Well, listen, we have um, just a few more minutes here, and I just want to make sure, um, Dr. Sheely, if you could just share really, really briefly um, who would benefit from an RDI program so our listeners can know if this might be something that's uh, interesting for them to look into. Well, I think anybody would benefit from working with you and your wonderful staff at TAG. Every time I talk to you or every time I hear what you're doing, I'm so impressed and I'm so excited. And I know that lives are being changed and that there's a normalcy that's coming to families as a result of their work with you. I think anybody can do RDI as long as they want a parent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if, (laughs) if you are somebody who is saying, yeah, I just want to I just want to be able to parent my child. I want to feel competent when I'm doing it. I don't think anything mm-hmm. else matters. I don't think whether your child has language or doesn't have language, whether your child is um, 32 or 2, mm-hmm. I don't think those things matter. But I think the desire to be a guide to your child and to have your child be a good apprentice to you is fundamental. And I just hope people will, uh, you know, will take down TAG, (laughs) write it down somewhere and give you all a call because you're doing good work. 
Oh, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. And and I I think that's um, such a good point that it doesn't really matter the age. You know, we've worked with children as young as 18 months all the way up to in their 50s. And um, it's just been a wonderful experience to see any age really benefit from um, this this opportunity and and this experience. And just want to thank you so much again for all that you've done to really contribute to this uh, field and, and given us a gift as practitioners to be able to implement this amazing program. So um, with that, thank you so much, uh, Jackie and Dr. Sheely. And um, we hope that this was helpful to all of our listeners. And we'll be back next Tuesday at 11 o'clock um, where we'll be talking about sensory processing disorders. And we'll have uh, guest Chris Vinsno with us. So thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Thank, thank you, you for great being me. here. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you again for listening. Be sure to tune in to Therapeutic Approach to Growth and join Brooke Wagner again every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.